0: Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason
1: Margos. This is Flop Redeemer, the podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance.
0: In 2007, actress and singer Miranda Cosgrove rose to stardom on the hit Nickelodeon sitcom iCarly, a show which inspired the youth of America to seek fame by broadcasting themselves on the internet with seemingly little concern over their personal privacy or safety. In 2010, she took an obligatory turn at pop stardom and released her debut album Sparks Fly. Though a moderate hit, the album may not have reached as many non-iCarly fans as hoped. And by the time iCarly ended in 2012, so too had Miranda Cosgrove's recording career. Today, we're talking about her 2010 song, Disgusting. <laughs> I don't know, it just sounds funny. I like being shady in my intros. I mean, no, I
1: like it. I like it. It's very, um, you know, it really what makes you wonder, like, are we really trying to redeem the flops? <laughs> Are we trying to shovel more dirt on their grave?
0: I mean, redemption comes in all forms. And that's the thing. I, we'll, we'll talk about it. This song that we're talking about today, Listener Request, by the way, we're doing a Listener Request, and I'm taking up the torch for this because this is very much more in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. We talked about it last week or in the previous episode about how this, you tried. I did. You tried it. And this is not your wheelhouse. You don't have the context maybe for how to dig deep into the life and times of Miranda Cosgrove but this is my genre you know but i i think part of it is that this song is not it's not great it was not meant to be a hit i don't think
1: no it does act, it it feels like an album song like an album track
0: just not a Miranda Cosgrove album track
1: <laughs> yeah it really does feel like someone else's
0: song <laughs> and uh, it, it is yeah that th- that being said though the reason that i really became fascinated with this song and the reason that i feel it's worthy of redemption is because i feel like the cultural anthropological societal implications of this song and its importance towards not just american history but world history okay you know cannot be understated okay it's truly an important song i feel (laughs) just because i get to talk about a bunch of like pop culture garbage for about okay. an hour and 15 minutes. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> Let's try and keep it to an hour. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, in preparation for this week's episode, I did try to watch iCarly. Mm. We are both, you and I, uh, far too old to have experienced yeah. iCarly. Um, and yet, you persisted. I mean, you persisted, I persisted much longer than I did. I did watch the pilot episode of iCarly. I watched the first episode of the revival because iCarly did come back this year and then i kind of spot checked different episodes i tried to find episodes if she ever actually sang in the show she did once as far as i can tell maybe to- oh, no, there was a Cro- victorious crossover episode she also sings in that one um but my god i it was one of those things where we were watching it at home here and i was like this is really bad Really? Well, I think being an adult who has no connection to this show, and also generationally having no connection to this show, because this is a show about a young woman that stumbles into internet stardom when a video of her and her friend being funny is posted to a video sharing site. And on the heels of this, she comes up with the idea to start a live streamed web show, she becomes very, very famous. Um, and I feel like that's very much... That was very much in the water around 2007. Like, YouTube stardom was just starting to become a thing back then. It was still weird. It was still very weird. But I think yeah. it, it 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 primed an entire generation of youth to be like, oh, like, I can do this. I could do this. I can be just some, like, normal girl in middle... In, like, eighth grade... I'm going to videotape myself, post it to the internet, post like clear signage showing where I live and not be worried about it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That was what was astounding Such to me. a strange like, time. It was a strange time because uh, I was part of one of the episodes that I was watching was that they were pranking the 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 doorman of their building, who's this terrible, terrible man with a giant wart on his face. Um, And I was like, oh, like... This footage of them pranking their doorman—it has the name of their building <laughs> in the footage, and they're broadcasting this to tens of thousands of people on the internet. And I, and I, you know, I think later on, I didn't get to these episodes, but I think there is a whole mini arc in this series about um, Carly eventually having a stalker. So I'm glad that Whoa. they were—they were—they had the foresight to see that. What they were actually doing with Miranda Cosgrove on iCarly was kind of dangerous. <laughs> it was like a PSA yeah.
1: for to all of the children that they a had very encouraged. a very
0: special iCarly. <laughs> um, but I watched it. The humor is decidedly like just not funny to me. It has mm. the it has the acting that I think is very. Uh, typical of children's programming. I think that there's like a style of comedy Mm. and a style of acting that they put into these shows that just like, as an adult, it's not that funny. Mm. The funniest part to me is like the physical humor as, as, as all things for me anyway, like stuff where like in the, in the pilot, her brother falls out of the ceiling onto the floor. And that's always
1: good. He falls are always good.
0: Yeah. And he's like, so the, so the premise of iCarly is like, Um, you know, she lives with her older brother who's 26. Her father is in the military and stationed in Italy. So you never see her father ever until like the finale of the whole series, like five years later. And um, her mother is very rarely ever mentioned. We don't even know if she has a mother. None of the, like occasionally you see the other kids' parents, but by and large, this is one of those shows where like parents are practically invisible, non, non non-issues. Which helps them, I think, in their wacky endeavors. But anyway, I tried watching it. Um, not- Did you feel that the reboot, was impro- the humor had improved for you? This is the bizarre thing for me about the reboot. And I haven't watched the whole reboot. I watched the first episode and then I watched clips of some of the later episodes. I was astounded that they could reboot a show that aired on uh, Nickelodeon about a teenage girl... Reboot it 10 years later about this same woman, now 28 years old, but have the style of comedy, the writing, the look, the feel of the entire show be almost exactly the same. Hmm. So Baffling it still wasn't funny to you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Interesting. If anything, it was a little bit more um, eerie because it almost reads as like, A kids' show with no kids in it. Hmm. Interesting. Like, adults aged 28 to, like, 40 acting like
1: teenagers. Have you... This is related, but have you seen the reboot of Saved by
0: the Bell? I did see a couple of episodes of season one. I I
1: really enjoy it. I think it's really funny.
0: I like how they reinvented that because... Mm -hmm. Going back to Saved by the Bell, the original series, I've recently tried to rewatch some of that. And that was a show that I loved as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Rewatching it as an adult, it's not funny. Yeah, Yeah. I don't even have... I only have nostalgia, a nostalgia factor for certain episodes of Saved by the Bell. And so anything that's not that, I watch it and I'm like, oh, like this was really pretty bad. Mm -hmm. But it was so amazing as a teenager. And I think that's just a sign of the times. Like, as times change... Um, television has changed a lot. The types of humor that are funny changes. Yeah. The style of comedy. I think that like the Saved by the Bell reboot, you know, I, I, still not for me maybe, but I found it to be like a very current and fresh take on that original format.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that it it, um, you know it, yeah, exactly. Like the, the key is that it's not the exact same show and it pokes fun. It like skewers um the original and it skewers the original cast who most many of them appear in the new series we started season two and I mean it's still really funny like there's just the jokes are good I
0: feel yeah. um and icarly is not I'm sorry <laughs> sorry sorry miranda cosgrove but the reboot of icarly I feel that it just caters towards original fans of icarly and not which, yeah, not too might, many other might people might be might be their only goal. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly popular television series when it originally ran on Nickelodeon. But, um, like for example, I mean, so we so we revisit uh, Carly Shay in the Year of Our Lord 2021, and um, she's returned from a stint as like a QVC correspondent in Italy. I think QVC. Like I think I think shopping, that's what right? they say because at the end of iCarly. She ends up deciding to um, move to Italy to be with her father. Her best friend, Sam, played by Jeanette McCurdy, takes off on a motorcycle. And then she leaves behind her best friend, Freddie, and um, her brother. So when we see her in 2021, she's returned to Seattle. She's trying to restart her web show. Um, immediately we get into... Um, oh, she she breaks up with her boyfriend. She thinks that her boyfriend, she and her boyfriend are going to start like a joint YouTube channel. He ends up breaking up with her. She's heartbroken. She ends up meeting this new guy or reconnecting with this guy that I think she knew from like summer camp years ago. And um, he's a professor of mouthfeel science. Ew. This is like the level. This is like the level of humor that is in this show. And that's why I'm talking about this. Okay. So she's she meets this guy. Who is a professor of the of mouthfeel science, and she's really in up she's he's super cute. And this is very in line with a lot of the stuff that I think happened in the original iCarly, um, when she started getting interested in boys. That like she would go out with them, and then there would be one thing that like bugged her, and then it would be like done. Mm. Like one of the guys that she dated in the original series, um, she dumped him because she found out that he collected these things called pee wee babies. Which I think are supposed to be like beanie babies. Mm.
1: <laughs> <That's weird. I laughs> and mean... she just couldn't
0: deal with that. But she goes out with this mouthfeel guy. And, you know, because, and she goes out with him in part because she finds out that her ex is now with a new girl and they're going to start a web, sh- web show. So she feels threatened. And so she has to be like, well, I'm going to, I'm dating someone and we're going to start a, a channel of our own. She goes out on a date with this guy. He takes her to, um, he takes her to a restaurant where everything is liquid, like soup. Well, this is the thing, and so everything is liquid. The first course is like uh, fermented goat whey, and yeah. <laughs> and Miranda Cosgrove takes a a big slurp of uh, fermented goat whey and gets a chunk, and immediately just like the whole, she just lets it all just fall back out of her mouth, like. Pure sight gag. And then her date starts gargling the goat way for like 30 straight seconds. This is just a scene of him gargling goat way in the restaurant. And she's like, okay, this is it. It's over. That's the end of the episode.
1: (laughs) Can I I just say, before we go to our first break...
0: (laughs) I had a whole other topic to talk about. Oh my god.
1: Um, That it is amazing the amount of things that you... Pick up and retain in literally just like a week of research. <laughs> like
0: it seems like you have watched the show for years. I'm like, I went deep. What? I went deep into the world of iCarly. But as, you know, but I want to. I want to keep going because actually, okay. there's very little to, to talk about on the other side of this break. Okay, but I think as a as a primer to this whole episode. And part of the reason that I was so interested in Miranda Cosgrove is because of um, what I think of as the origins of this pipeline that's been created for teenaged uh, TV stars to become pop stars.
1: Mm.
0: And that kind of the origins of that, where it's been, where it came come, came from and where it's going. You know, because by and large, I was like, this is not a phenomenon that you or I ever saw play out when we were kids necessarily it wasn't that big of a thing to happen um you know but not not unheard of so one of the things that i was thinking of like you go as far back as um shelly fabreus who was the daughter on the Donna reed show in like the early 60s she had a relatively successful recording career as a pop artist she was saying um johnny angel Mm -hmm. and then i was thinking you know um You also had like David Cassidy, who came from the Partridge family, and that that show in and of itself was a vehicle for his singing singing career. Leaf Garrett, what was Leaf Garrett? Oh yeah, what was? I don't remember.
1: I just remember all the behind. He was in
0: a car accident, right?
1: I think so. It was all of those behind the music about like (laughs) seventies teen heartthrobs who like you know burned out in the (laughs) nineties.
0: Yeah. So it's not an unheard of phenomenon for people to make the transition from being like a teen heartthrob on TV, parlaying that into some kind of pop idol career. Uh-huh. Um, but we weren't necessarily seeing that. I think part of the reason that we didn't necessarily experience a lot of it, in as much as people experience it now, is that we grew up prior to the existence of like cable original programming.
1: Yeah, like they didn't have like Jonathan Taylor Thomas wasn't uh, didn't have a microphone shoved in his face to sing something.
0: Yeah, it's like at the time that we were growing up, you know, I think we talked about this in the party episode about the Disney Channel, the launch of the new Mickey Mouse Club as like their first original program. That's when I was like 12 years old. But um, prior to that, we were watching all of our stuff on broadcast TV. Mm -hmm. And I think that aside from like Saturday morning cartoons and then maybe a block of programming after school. The majority of programming that had to run, um, during primetime especially, it had to cover a wide swath of people. That's where I think we had a lot of more, um, like, family programming.
1: Like Brandy's Cinderella.
0: Or I was thinking of, like, TGIF. Like, we had, like, Full House. Boy Meets World. All of that. It had to, like, work for a young audience. But it also kind of had to be funny to older audiences as well like it had to have like, like the broad appeal in a way that like with the advent of cable networks specialized cable networks that suddenly you get like your nickelodeons or your disney channels that they really only have to create programming that's only funny to young kids and i think that's where the that that sensibility and that humor mm-hmm. kind of gets lost on me as an adult i'm like oh this is programming that was specifically made just to be funny for children and what an eerie talent it is to be a, a full-grown adult <laughs> that can develop that type of programming.
1: <laughs> yeah, just for kids. Yeah. I mean, it is is—it is funny because, you know, you do sometimes, I think as an adult who does not have children, mm. I'm used to watching, if it's children or family-oriented fare, it is of like the Pixar variety where, you know, they, they, they know that they have to throw the things in there for the adults right yeah and then you go i'll go to like my family's house or or you know friends houses who have kids and you watch like the true like children's programming and some of it is like the dumbest stuff <laughs> and i i get it i mean you know like you have to develop like you know a sense of humor and you have to you know all of these things like it's all cultural right so like yeah it has to be layered in and like it has to start somewhere um
0: but it is, tr- you're like, whoa, what, it, like, it, <laughs> like, when it's truly for kids, it's like, oh, They're wow. just, like, distilling entertainment down to, like, what will just capture someone's attention and keep their eyes glued to the screen. Yeah. Um, you know, and when it comes to, like, the advent of cable television, original programming, um, of course, the original Mickey Mouse Club that aired on the Disney Channel... In 1992, when they took it off the air, that was the first season that featured Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake, right? Mm -hmm. And Disney Channel basically pulled the plug on that whole series. They cut those kids loose from the Disney Channel family, so to speak. And I think that when Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, when they all rose to like global stardom, there was probably a sense that Disney Channel missed out on an opportunity there. That they cut these kids out of the family... Right. And missed out on this integration into their Hollywood records scheme that they had been running. Yeah, that's right. And so I think for me, the f- the first kind of big splash that's made out of this is Hilary Duff. Yeah. Who debuts her music career in, I think, around 2003. What happens with her, you know, she has the show Lizzie McGuire on the Disney Channel, Um, the show has nothing to do with singing. So there was absolutely no evidence that she could sing. Um, but in 2002, the Lizzie McGuire movie is released in theaters. And part of the premise of that movie is that Lizzie McGuire takes a school trip to Italy. And in Italy, she meets her Italian doppelganger who happens to be a female pop star in Italy. And there's this whole caper adventure involving Lizzie McGuire in Italy, switching places with an Italian pop star and getting on stage at the very end and proving that she can sing live. Uh-huh. And it's hard not to think of that as a ploy to kind of backdoor Hilary Duff into a singing career. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's and- all
1: part of it. So it was a
0: plan. Yeah, because I remember when Hilary Duff launched her singing career, I was very, very skeptical of her. Like, there was something about her music that I was always like, is this really what her singing voice is? Is this really her singing? Like, why do I feel so weird about Hilary Duff singing? Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it's because we were already too old yeah I
1: was gonna say I was like you're like skeptical I'm like I didn't even care about her I'm sorry her songs had, were big like they know were on they the were. radio I know they were but so was iCarly like I was
0: I was. Like, we were closer to age uh, with Hillary Duff than we are to uh, Miranda Cosgrove yes I mean and, and I will say that in revisiting Hillary Duff's music for the purposes of this week's episode Hillary Duff's albums are like pop masterpieces i listened to all of her albums like front to back straight through mm-hmm. and i was like wow these albums are really good they're really good albums i can't i couldn't believe my ears because i just always had such disdain for her recording career <laughs> mm.
1: yeah i don't know it was you and our friend eric and because eric was so into it i was like this can't be good
0: yeah yeah I mean, and at the time I was skeptical of it. I just felt this skepticism about, I don't, I don't know why. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that you see that format evolve with Disney channel over time. I think obviously we get Miley Cyrus who starred in Hannah Montana. The obvious enhancement there being that the show positioned her as a singer. Living a double life. Yeah, a double life. Also, you know, very similar to the the Lizzie McGuire intrigue. Um, But I think that that at least gave her a little bit of credibility from the beginning as a singer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, I think you see this pipeline start to evolve and develop and encompass more and more people. Um, You know, we obviously get like Demi Lovato. We get Selena Gomez. Um, Vanessa Hudgens, Ashley Tisdale, Allie and AJ, Christy Carlson Romano, Raven Simone, all these kids come through that Disney Channel pipeline Mm -hmm. and they all record music and they all start to try and like make it as pop stars. Um, Simultaneously, you have this other, perhaps less prestigious pipeline being developed by Nickelodeon, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you get um, Drake Bell. Did -hmm. you ever listen to any music by Drake Bell? He's still trying to make music. He's, it? he's recording Spanish language music. That's he weird. recently controversially changed his name. I don't know if it's a joke, but he, he uses the Spanish word for Bell as his last name now. What is that? I don't know because I don't speak Spanish. I just remember <laughs> saying it. Because he's recording, he recorded a song in Spanish. And then I think he joking, maybe it was a joke. Who knows with Drake Bell. I feel like Drake Bell is... Campana. Yeah. I feel like he's become a controversial figure over time. But, you know, he tried it. Um, We get, um, I mean, we get iCarly with Miranda Consgrove. We get Victoria Justice. Ariana Grande, of course, famously comes from Victoria. I mean, she kind
1: of seemed like a little bit of a... Her, it didn't... I wouldn't say it started off as promising
0: for Ariana Grande. Yeah. Oh, Ariana Grande was totally put in a corner.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was like to your point, it was like very childish almost, right? But like I think that that
0: worked out for her, honestly. Mm-hmm. So no, much No, of course, of course. So much of Victorious, the television show on Nickelodeon, so much of it was spent on developing the career of Victoria Justice. If you look at the Victorious soundtracks that they released, it's like 75 percent plus victoria justice songs there's one song featuring ariana grande um on one of the victoria soundtracks that is um a, a, a blatant ripoff of lady marmalade um, okay but it's clear just from that one song like oh ariana grande was always like the star <laughs> The singing stuff. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, who is this woman? I'm like looking at her. I mean, they tried it. With, I mean, I think that Victoria Justice, they were trying to see if can she be, uh, can she be the next Katy Perry? Could she be the next Lady Gaga? Like, what kind of music is she going to make? And they tried, and they tried, and they tried. Um, you know, Victorious was very uh, surreptitiously like canceled. Who was Victorious? Victoria? The te- oh. the television show oh, was oh, canceled oh. very suddenly. Oh. And and Victoria Justice was never heard from again. Not true. She's still also trying to make music. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, mm. I, I so so that is kind of like the primer for how we get into like what I think of as like the factory farming of teenage pop stars. <laughs> I think cage free. <laughs> Not all of them. <laughs> They we were definitely
1: fed antibiotics.
0: Yeah. No. Oh, because you know what? And I'll, I'll I'll close out this controversy-ridden intro, this too-long intro with this, you know, discussion about the Nickelodeon pipeline. You know, the Nickelodeon pipeline of teenage stars. It was largely spearheaded by a man named Dan Schneider. I think I've talked about this before. Wait, this is this that gross man. This is the gross man. So Dan Schneider, he was a producer. Um, for television in the 80s he was uh he was an actor and he was one of the stars of a show called head of the class do you remember that okay. show
1: i vaguely it's
0: about vaguely. A, it was about a class of geniuses in a high school in a high school and it was all these kids and he was one of the kids um mm. he eventually gets uh a writing deal so he's writing for the show all that in the 90s he ends up becoming a producer. I think he produces like Kenan and Kel. He becomes a producer mm. for like Good Burger. We were watching Good Burger over Thanksgiving and I saw him and I was like, Oh, that's Dan Schneider. How's, how's... I, I remember cracking up so much in Good Burger. I mean, we're, we were, we're of that age. We're like Kenan yeah, Thompson's yeah. age. Yeah. 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 Um, Good Burger at the Amanda show. He was, he was, uh, instrumental in Amanda, the Amanda show. And then Amanda's CW television show. What I like about you co-starring Jenny Garth. Um, You know, and then he gets into the business of Drake and Josh, iCarly, Victorious, Ned's Declassified Adventures. He gets this big development deal with Nickelodeon. And there were always rumors and allegations that I would see about, like, there's something really off about these shows. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they talk about is... um, Well, nowadays, once uh, iCarly was Mm -hmm. rebooted... Mm -hmm. um, One of the main stars of the original iCarly, Jeanette McCurdy, who played Sam, Carly's best friend, um, she has retired from acting. She had no interest in participating in the revival of iCarly. And she's talked openly about how, like, damaging that whole experience of being part of that television show was for her. Hmm. And... I think it gave people this like hindsight is twenty twenty moment of looking back at iCarly and realizing how weird a lot of those shows were. Um, the the one thing that a lot of people pick up on is that like there's a strange obsession with feet in these shows. So numerous times in iCarly, they're like giving each other foot massages, or there's things where they have to put their feet in something. Um, there's a really famous clip out there from Victorious where Ariana Grande is putting her feet in her mouth. <laughs> it's, it's in hindsight, it's all very, very creepy. And I was in yeah, hindsight. Yeah. I mean, well, it's in, in at the time it was easy to write it off as like, oh, these are just kids having fun and being stupid. Um, I mean. You know, one of the things that I was noticing is that, like, part of, part of the success of iCarly also had to do with the fact that um, they had an actual in-world website, iCarly.com. And they would solicit viewers to submit their own videos of themselves to be featured in the end credits of the show. So it was just oh. kids doing weird talents and weird things. In mm-hmm. the second episode of the show, in the end credits, there's fully, uh, like, a young girl picking her nose with her big toe. It's disgusting. So we end up here. I mean, this is this is this is kind of like the end of the pipeline, right? (laughs) At least as far as Nickelodeon is concerned, because so um, this production company that that they had been working with for a long time, um, they after all of this chatter starts to arise about how appropriate a lot of this children's programming is, they officially severed their ties with this production company in 2018 and opted to just move on. Mhm. Um so I found that particularly fascinating. I wanted to talk about it because otherwise what is there to talk about in this episode, right?
1: I mean, it's a nice segue <laughs> into talking about the song disgusting.
0: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Indeed. Well, we can we can we can move on if you want if you want to take us away. I mean, should we? Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, <laughs> songs and everything that we discussed today will be featured on our website uh, flopredeemer.com which
0: oh you know what not really the the one episode where you questioned whether or not i still update the website totally Mm -hmm. drinks to me and i have not updated the website since
1: i saw i looked today i was like oh this is from October.
0: Yeah, I was, I would, I fully was always just updating it because it's like the last thing I have to do before I post the episode. Mm-hmm. And then, well, we're very busy. And then I, you know, it it totally jinxed me because you were like, "Do we still update the website?" I was like, "Yes, Jason, it's the one thing that I do." And then I stopped.
1: <laughs> and then you stopped. And I was, I was trying to like figure out the timestamp. I'm like, when did we talk about this? Um. <laughs> Don't go to our website. Send a- <laughs> Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Flop Redeemer.
0: You can find us there. If you go, if you do go there, leave a comment telling us to update those channels.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like if you follow us on Instagram, you'll get like access to the playlist for all of the songs that we feature every week. Will you? I mean, Barry puts it together.
0: You might. I'll put it in yeah. a story. I should highlight yeah. that. I should, I should actually add those you stories highlight to highlights those. because otherwise yeah. those... Those playlists are just lost to, lost to time. Lost to history. History and time.
1: Um, Send us your comments, your feedback, your, uh, you know, things that you want us to talk about at to uh, flopredeemer at gmail.com. And uh, we promise you we will read the email. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We will take it under advisement. We cannot promise you that we will talk about it, but we'll try if we can. (laughs) It might take us two or three episodes. (laughs) To actually talk about the thing you'd like us to talk about. But
0: look out for that in season three coming at you in 2022. Yes. All right. Let's go to break. All right. So we're back. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about Miranda Cosgrove and her 2010 song, Disgusting. Today. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, it's just like half an hour later. (laughs) No, there's very little to cover here. Miranda Cosgrove does not have a prolific recording career, but in case you don't know, let's give you a brief primer on Miranda Cosgrove and who she is. Maybe you know who she is. So Miranda Cosgrove, she's an actress primarily, um, she scores some early roles in School of Rock alongside Jack Black. That's right. And then, yeah. She plays the little sister on Drake and Josh alongside Drake Bell and Josh Peck. And then um, she gets a, I think, a recurring role on Zoe 101 uh, alongside Jamie Lynn Spears. Hmm. Another Dan Schneider produced show which was surreptitiously canceled. Hmm. She Is that was too right? busy? Is that-
1: she was too busy trying to manage her sister's conservancy
0: no she was too busy having a, having a baby out of
1: wedlock I remember they moved her away yeah didn't she and her mom have to go away I don't know um, that that kid
0: what her kid's got to be like a teenager now yeah probably graduated high school already good gravy anyway um, so Dan Schneider the aforementioned producer takes note of uh, Miranda Cosgrove's acting talent and begins to develop a show which he envisions specifically for her And that show eventually becomes iCarly. And iCarly, we've talked ad nauseum about the premise of the show and what happens in the show. But this show runs on Nickelodeon for six seasons between 2007 and 2012, which is, like, incredibly long for a teen show. Like, I think it's among the longest running, like, scripted sitcom shows on Nickelodeon. Hmm. most most teenage shows on Nickelodeon have a shelf life of about 3 years and i think it is in part because at a certain point you're going to age out of that where people are going to be expecting they're going to be expecting different a different type of show for se- 17 and 18 year olds
1: mm-hmm. versus
0: like a 12 to 13 year old yeah and miranda cosgrove and i carly managed to just bridge that whole gap they take the show for her from eighth grade all the way through 12th grade she's still the same wholesome girl playing pranks making a live web show and at the age of 28 still the same sweet girl making a teenage web show
1: gargling uh, uh, fermented goat juice
0: fermented goat way Um, so the show quickly becomes one of the network's most popular sitcoms. And from the get go, they, um, they feature Miranda's singing in the opening theme song for the show, a song called Leave It All To Me, which also features vocals by Drake Bell, her former co-star from Drake and Josh. And it's got this kind of like, um, fun, cutesy, folksy poppy rocky vibe Hmm. it's a little it's a little more crunchy and i don't know how to describe it (laughs) i know
1: what you mean it was popular at the time like that was it was popular for for her at the time
0: yeah i think it definitely generated some interest among her fans in her singing whether or not that was um deserved or not we will find out but um you know, this led to the release of a couple different soundtracks for the show itself. Um, in the in the soundtrack they released for the show, it was one of those like songs from and inspired by um iCarly type of thing. So it had songs by like, I think there was a song by Natasha Bedingfield on mm, it. What? There was a song by um Sean Kingston. Huh. You know, like those like big pole artists of the time they're mm-hmm. all featured on this soundtrack alongside four additional tracks by miranda cosgrove including a cover of a sugar babes song called about you now i was like a hole in
1: my head no
0: no 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 no. <laughs> remember like sugar babes were like a big yeah. deal overseas yeah, like yeah, we didn't yeah. really hear a lot of these songs here but sugar babes had released a song i think it was also released by sugar babes in 2008 called about you now and then almost immediately Miranda Cosgrove has a cover of it. And this song was written by Dr. Luke, mm. which we know um, he was uh, the producer that worked heavily with Kesha at the outset of her career. He worked heavily with Katy Perry before Katy Perry became a household name. Mm. And he was kind of responsible for like the big pop hits of that era. I would say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the song about you now from the 2008 iCarly soundtrack that becomes, um, to date, like Miranda Cosgrove's highest charting single. It makes it to number 47 on the Billboard Hot 100. And that leads to the recording and the release of her debut album, which is 2010's Sparks Fly. Um, this album is led off by the single "Kissing You. And this song reaches 54 on the Billboard Hot 100. And the album debuts at number eight on the Billboard 200. So, like, all in all, like, not a bad debut for this young woman who has a Nickelodeon television show and is probably not known by anyone except for fans of her Nickelodeon television show.
1: I mean, it's a fair, it's a very respectable debut. I yeah. mean, if you think about it, in 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 the terms of like you know, relatively speaking, with like the flops that we talk about, <laughs> um, you know, debuting like someone who's a relative unknown in the larger pop culture landscape yeah coming in with like what a number eight you said billboard album? yeah like and is it, not is not a not something small
0: yeah not bad and it, i mean you also have to keep in mind though that um 2010 is like prime time for the music industry being cannibalized by digital downloads and streaming mm-hmm. and stuff i don't there, you know there was a point at which like they had to tra- start figuring out how to factor digital downloads and digital sales into the billboard numbers and there was some weird conversion factor. I think it was like you had to listen to, you had to download a a song could be downloaded from like iTunes a certain number of times, like 15 times. And that would count as one album sale, regardless of like, if it was 15 downloads of the same song.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that, I think that with the Rihanna of it all, it kind of pushed it to a head where they had to calculate it because she kept having those, those streaming hits.
0: Yeah, and I think it changed the nature of the recording industry because suddenly you have a bunch of artists that really only strive to have singles. Like, there's not really a vision for an album, necessarily. Mm-hmm. There's just, like, how many hit singles can we string together regardless of whether or not they make sense as an album?
1: I mean, it's disgusting.
0: I mean, we'll see this with Miranda, play out with Miranda Cosgrove here. Um, you know, and she gets it. So, by, uh, by way of saying that, in 2010, a number eight debut on the Billboard Top 200 calculates to like 36,000 physical sales.
1: It, well, yeah,
0: yeah, which I, you know, the eighth most popular album at the time. But you know, we were coming out of the early 2000s where you were selling millions of records.
1: Yeah, yeah, in the top ten in a week.
0: Yeah. Um. So this song that we're talking about today, uh, "Disgusting," uh, is not is not a single from this album. It is an album track. I think that the notable thing about this song is that it was originally recorded by Kesha. It was intended to be part of Kesha's debut album Animal, which also came out. I think that actually came out in 2009. Yeah. But if you look at the year-end songs for 2010, like I think TikTok was like the number 1 um song of that year mm-hmm. by Kesha. So Kesha was a big deal in 2010. This um this song, "Disgusting," was kind of a cast-off from that album. Yeah. Um. So the song, the bona fides for this song, the song was written by Kesha, Shepherd Solomon, Tony Mer- Tony Meredith, and P. B. Siebert, who is, I think you've mentioned yeah. this before, that that is Kesha's mom. I think we were given this impression at the time that Kesha was like a literal nobody. She appeared in an episode of a, The Simple Life as mm-hmm. like an extra. Um, well her the, the the what Paris and Nicole like,
1: stayed on their family farm.
0: Yeah. But come to find out like her mother, like Kesha's mother is maybe not a, a, an extremely successful songwriter but was an established songwriter. Yeah,
1: like in her own right. Like if you look at her credits, yeah.
0: She has credits going back to like the 70s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um the the writing credit that I found particularly interesting for this song is Shepherd Solomon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Shepherd Solomon uh Shepard Solomon has a writing credit for the song Stars Are Blind by Paris Hilton. Yeah. He also has a co-writing credit alongside Dr. Luke for the the follow-up single to Stars Are Blind, which was Nothing in This World. And Nothing in This World is a song by Paris Hilton that I had considered covering for this podcast. Because Paris Hilton had that one moderate hit song. It was a big deal that she had this major label record deal. Her album came out and it flopped. Mm-hmm. Her whole album flopped hard, but the, nothing in this world was like the second single off that album. It's a, I always thought it was a fun kind of flimsy throwaway song, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, But when I listened to disgusting for the first time, I was like, God, this song sounds eerily familiar in a weird way. I don't know what the connection is. There's something about the DNA of the song disgusting and the song, nothing in this world that I feel like, I feel like they're the same song. Mm. I listened to them back to back and I'm like, yeah, they're pretty similar. I, I don't have the musicology background to like overlay them or whatever. But I was like, I feel like these follow the, almost the exact same format mm. straight down to like the, the weird opening with like the, the four like percussive sounds.
1: Uh, huh. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so there, there's a really strong DNA to, I think a lot of these Dr. Luke, uh, joints at the time. Um, Shepard Solomon. I mean, he also did "Don't Stop Moving" by S Club Seven. I was
1: gonna say he has quite a few credits that rain that I was like, oh, some of these I really like, some of these I really don't like. <laughs> like the <laughs> oh, yeah, highs like, and lows.
0: He did a lot of um. Was it like a Ryan Cabrera song on there, and like a Daughtry, maybe a Daughtry song or two on yeah. there? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. It's 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 like uh, um. Well, he did like there's uh, uh he did. One Direction song and like the, there's he's like king of these sort of album tracks for big names. <laughs> yeah, there's a Daughtry song. Feels like tonight.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a big um, hit for Daughtry. Yeah, I think. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh Who else? Touch of my hand for Britney Spears.
0: I mean, he truly, truly crosses, truly crossing boundaries, right? Boundaries. Uh, oh, and he genres. did one of
1: my favorite Celine Dion songs right in front of you. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I'll put that on the playlist. Um <laughs> so as I said this this song was originally written recorded for Kesha's debut album Animal which came out in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um you know listening to the song lyrically I can see why this album didn't make the cut for Kesha. <laughs> well okay like so this that. is the thing is I think that I think that Out the Gate with Kesha and Animal and the song TikTok and Your Love Is My Drug um There was a very particular image of Kesha that we were given, you know, she was like drunken pirate rebel party girl of pop music, right? She has this very particular way of singing that's maybe not always pleasant. It's it's kind of a there's a drawl and a slurriness and a snarl, a, a snarl. Very good. You know, I think that's where I get the pirate. I like, think think yeah. of her as like a pirate yeah. sort of sorts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very arg. Yeah. Um, you know, and lyrically, I feel like she was giving off these tough girl vibes. And this song, disgusting, lyrically. It and and, and
1: it's not a tough girl.
0: It's not a tough girl song. This is a this is a song about love sickness. Yeah. It's um it almost has like aspects of like self-hatred to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so disgusting how you make me feel like what you've turned me into.
0: And I mean, correct me at any point if I'm wrong about this, because um, standardized testing wise reading comprehension, always my lowest, always my lowest. I'm I'm constantly misinterpreting things.
1: Are you serious? You spent half an hour giving me like a background on like the minutia of the pipeline from pop started, whatever. And I'm like, your reading comprehension is quite
0: good. <laughs> no, that's my TV viewing comprehension. My reading comprehension. But yeah, so, <laughs> but this song there's there's an aspect of like self-hatred in it because the the lyric is like it's disgusting how I love you. I can't take it. I should hate you. And mm. if I'm reading this correctly, it's about this woman that's in this relationship for a guy that like treats her badly, but she just can't give up on him, right? Yeah. And when I think about this song lyrically, in contrast to the song um, "Your Love Is My Drug," which did make her album, because I was thinking like, oh, like Kesha did have like kind of a love sickness song, which was mm-hmm. "Your Love Is My Drug," but what I think is interesting lyrically about that song is that there's an aspect of it, not so much about her her lover mistreating her, just that she's so addicted to his love, and then. At the end of that song, she turns it around on him and being like, "Is my love your drug?" Hmm. Kind of like they're being addicted to each other. And also I feel like that whole like uh, that drug abuse alcohol addiction narrative is like it kind was of key but can, maybe can, on brand for for Kesha at the time.
1: Can, can, would you describe your current relationship as an addiction? No are you are you I, I listen to it now and I'm like, oh God, no, I'm not addicted. <laughs>
0: No, as an adult, I, I'm, I'm greatly appreciate the slow burn. <laughs> yes. You know I mean? I yeah, mean yeah, no, yeah. it's totally true. It's like, there's yeah. things about my relationship now, like over a decade in that uh, I still appreciate. a decade and a half. Over a decade and a half. Sell yourself yeah. short. Old um, man. You know, I think I, I think that's something about like coming into adulthood. I was like, oh, like these are the things that I value.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like a, an
0: addiction is not sustainable. And I think you know, and I think image-wise, Kesha has also evolved in that time. Yeah, yeah, Kesha's yeah. come come out the other side with a She's different a woman. She's a woman, a motherfucking woman. Uh huh. Isn't that the that's lyric? That's a good song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, but 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 what I but what I mean to say is that like. I see how this song got cut for Kesha Mm
1: -hmm.
0: maybe didn't quite align with that first album for Kesha didn't do for Kesha what it needed to do. Yeah. That said, Miranda Cosgrove, who I perceive of as being like on the complete opposite side of the spectrum from Kesha personality wise, image wise, vocal talent wise. It also wasn't necessarily a fit lyrically for Miranda Cosgrove. Yeah. Because I will say that, like, when I listened to this song, the first time we listened to this song, we were like, oh, this song is garbage. The more I listened to it, I was like, actually, the song itself, the bones of the song are very good. I like the track. Um, I find Miranda Cosgrove's singing voice to be pleasant in a sterile and um, precise and um, sterile it doesn't have <laughs> grit it doesn't have grit it doesn't have grit it doesn't necessarily have personality it's sanitized it's sanitary it's lovely
1: yeah i, I feel like it's not emotive
0: not ter- it's, it's it's like halfway to emotive yeah she she actually shares that aspect i think with hillary duff
1: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I didn't like that. I mean, that that to me has always been the thing, I think, with the pop star, with the TV star to pop star pipeline is that it's not that they're untalented. Mm-hmm. It's just that from a musical perspective, I don't buy the emo- I don't buy what they're selling. And I think that that is such a big part of music. I mean, for me. Yeah. Right. Like, because growing up with soul, like, there's that emotion like into into the the delivery of the song, and and some pop is really more about it's a vehicle for the beat or it's a vehicle for
0: the vibe, and not necessarily like the storytelling. Yeah. Because I was going to say that one of the reasons that I find her voice very fitting into this particular track is the track itself is kind of an electro pop Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. piece, and I think EDM electro pop highly synthesized dance music. It's the type of music where often, I think it's actually assisted by an unemotive female vocalist. Uh-huh. I was thinking about... Yeah, I mean, about,
1: there's the rare cases where it's like... R- well, not rare, but it's a different thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was thinking a lot about like early David Guetta tracks that have like an unemotive like um, Scandinavian blonde woman, mm. you know, melodically... Singing a precise, sanitized
1: vocal. Yeah, but then, but then when Kelly Rowland comes and love takes over, it takes
0: it to another, uh, another level. Still flopped. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I think that Miranda Cosgrove's voice is actually like a good fit for this style of music. Where I think that the song really fails her is lyrically. I I I almost feel like they should have rewritten the lyrics for her. If they were it's, gonna, give yeah, her the it's song. a little
1: too, it's a little too hard or punchy for kind of who she is, right?
0: It's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, I mean, at least
1: in my perception of her,
0: I don't want to, I mean, it's not that Kesha is like a modern day Shakespeare, but. Kesha has a specific cadence to her voice. She has a specific like swagger to her voice that I think she can say kind of like disarming lyrics or unexpected lyrics and you'll buy it from her. Yeah. When, when Kesha says that part about, doesn't she brush her teeth with a bottle of Jack? Yeah. Like you'll go with it. Yeah. (laughs) You'll go with her on that journey, even if it's like a stupid lyric. Just because of who she is and how she presents herself. Um, And one of the things that I was thinking about from Miranda Cosgrove in this is that like um, there's a lyric in this chorus that she says, I can't take it. I should hate you because you're messing up my name. Got to walk my talk, my fame, but I just want to touch your face. It's disgusting. Okay. And literally when Miranda Cosgrove says you're messing up my name my literal thought was oh she's she's pining after this guy that keeps calling her by the wrong name <laughs> right and i could be wrong about this but now that i've i've gone uh english major on these lyrics i was like oh when kesha sings this lyric because there is a kesha demo out demo out there when kesha sings that lyric i realized like oh she's saying that he's ruining her reputation You're messing up my name.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Oh, it doesn't have... Yes, okay.
0: (laughs) Like, when you hear Kesha say it, I was like, oh, she's not saying this guy literally doesn't know her name. She's saying she's with this guy that's making her act like a baby. And that's, like, messing up her image and her reputation to her friends. Mm. And it takes someone like a Kesha to pull off that lyric. Well,
1: because, you know, my other problem with this, and I don't know, maybe you'll get to this, but it's... It's that, like, not necessarily the song, but in listening to the rest of Sparks Fly, like the album, Mm -hmm. there's a song on there called Shakespeare.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And the chorus is Do you like Shakespeare, Jeff Buckley, watching movies on a Sunday? Do you like kissing when it's raining, making faces in the station? And I was like, (laughs) What is this? And why? Wait, you listen to Jeff Buckley?
0: Okay, that song is a
1: cover. I, but still, like, the credibility, like, the, 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 the thing about, like, if Ke- Kesha's saying, you're like, okay, I believe that, like, she has this range. But, like, there was nothing in the previous thing that made me think that yeah Miranda Cosgrove uh, had this range.
0: And that, you know, we can move on, because that is something that I was, when I listened to the entire album front to back, um, mm. became a major issue with me for Miranda Cosgrove, was that all of the songs are so random They cover a wide variety of genres, a wide variety of lyrical content. Um, At every turn, I was listening to different songs and being like, oh, this sounds like a cast off from Katy Perry. This song sounds like a cast off from Kelly Clarkson. This sounds like a rejected Avril Lavigne song. This one sounds like Taylor Swift might have written it. You know, that Shakespeare song? That to me is prime teenage Taylor Swift um, empty platitudes.
1: <laughs> wait, wait. I just found an LA Weekly. They were terrible. LA Weekly <laughs> article from May 7th, 2010 titled Nickelodeon Nymphette Bates Indie <laughs> Crowd with Jeff Buckley Name Drop. How dare they? That's...
0: Wow. That song was a, so. That song was a cover. I, I I didn't get around to listening to the original version of it, but um, um, that song was the one song featured on iCarly. Where um, so the premise of that episode is that there's a wedding, the groom um, something happens to the the groom is supposed to sing that song to his bride, uh-huh. but something happens to him. He ends up wet for some reason, in, in the back of the, the back of the auditorium. So um surprise miranda cosgrove picks up the mic and <laughs> blows them away with a highly polished rendition of this song um but yeah i, I listening to that song i was like it, but it, it does work in a taylor swiftian world it, i can see how they would think does. like maybe this song will take off it's it's um you were romeo i was the scarlet letter what the fuck does that mean the I mean Smith that song. makes
1: that makes more sense than like tossing in Jeff
0: Buckley's name. Maybe she likes Jeff Buckley. It's possible. She said I think she cites one of her like major, um, singing influences is like the Rolling Stones. Okay. So make of that what you will. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> I mean, like she could, but like it's literally there's nothing else in the lyric about anything related to Jeff Buckley <laughs> or like or. Th-
0: just saying like i like all these random things i Kissing like thing in the rain the, the, the one on that, no the, the one that makes the least sense to me of that whole series is making faces at the station at the station what the hell does that mean i guess like at the train station making faces where in the window yeah i guess well, sitting on a bench the <laughs> in the bathroom station. the police going through, station going through the turnstile. <laughs> Anyway, um, and, and so this this is like part and parcel with like one of the problems, I think, with the teen star to pop star pipeline is like establishing credibility and establishing your identity. Mm. Two major problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we think about Hillary Duff doing this movie to kind of back her way into a singing career, do we believe it? Do we believe that she's a credible singer? Um, do you remember when Lindsay Lohan... Um, was releasing her album and she had a bunch of rock songs, right? Yeah. uh, Cara Diaguardi produced album full of rock songs. And then she had that one, like, like it was like a, it was like a Scott Storch song called rumors. Yes. And then she hosted the MTV movie awards that year. And in the middle of nowhere, for no reason whatsoever, she had like a hip hop dance number. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was purely done to serve her credibility as a, a singer who could sing the song "Rumors" by Lindsay Lohan.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some certainly some ham-fisted ways of, of, uh, yeah, of trying to be like
0: this is the thing. Yeah, and I don't think that Miranda Cosgrove ever established that for her, moment for herself.
1: Well, not not many were as sophisticated as J Lo doing Selena and parlaying that into a. <laughs> exactly
0: music career (laughs) exactly there was like a calendar set up for her in advance to like ramp up to her not
1: everyone could have her debut medina or you know
0: (laughs) yeah and you know so like the other thing that i think is problematic here in terms of establishing identity as we've been talking about is like there is no identity established on this album it's very much um uh, miranda cosgrove putting her. her Putting her feelers out, like, hey, like, will you buy this uh, throwaway Kelly Clarkson song from me? Will you buy this old Kesha song from me? How about this Avril Lavigne thing from like five years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can listen to the whole album, basically, start to finish, mm-hmm. and think like, oh, this this sounds like she's trying to be this person or she's trying to be this person, rather than, um, you know, to Hillary Duff's credit, Hillary Duff put together a series of very cohesive albums, despite the fact that at the end of her recording career, she ends up with a, like a dance pop sound where she started yeah. out. She started out in Avril Lavigne. She ended up trying to be like a Lady Gaga, you know? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I got the feeling listening to this whole album that she didn't know what kind of music she wanted to make. Um, I don't think that there was time for her to make this decision, because um, the show *iCarly* did end its run in 2012. Um, I think that when you look at artists like Selena Gomez or you look at Demi Lovato, for example, that came out of the Disney house, the House of Mouse. Um, you know, Selena Gomez released like three or four albums as Selena Gomez in the scene with not super successful singles before she became like a major pop star. And then Demi Lovato too had two albums before. um, I feel like she had her big breakout. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting because Demi Lovato, I love those Demi first two Demi Lovato albums, masterpieces, but she was very much like uh, a scene rocker trick, you know? Yeah. And um, Selena Gomez, too, was doing rock in her first album with Selena Gomez in the scene. And then I think that the songs that were constantly resonating as singles were her dance tracks. Mm -hmm. And so you get to the third, I think, Selena Gomez in the scene album. And that's where you get. um, Is that where you get Year Without Rain? Barry, I don't know. Oh, come on. Like, what's the first Selena Gomez song that you remember? Is it
1: Hands to Myself? What was that? Da, 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 da,
0: da, da. Oh, okay. So that's like late. That yeah, I yeah. I like Selena Gomez before. starts releasing music in like 2009. Mm-hmm. That's oh, that's where you get the song naturally. Naturally is from her very first album, which is okay. an amazing dance song. But the rest of the songs are all rock songs. Mm. And then you get like Year Without Rain, another great song. Did you ever hear I, that song? No,
1: I mean I know the names of that, but I didn't.
0: Great song. And then it's not until 2011. That Oh, Love You Like a Love Song.
1: Okay, I like...
0: I mean, I know that song. Yeah, and she, you know, and then her career kind of blossoms from there, but she incubates all of this music while she's on TV still. Mm -hmm. She's given, like, time to kind of develop. Yeah. In a way that... I feel like Miranda Cosgrove, she had this shot to, like, incubate herself maybe a little bit, right? Figure out who she is, release an album with a hodgepodge of music. Um... But, you know, nothing ever takes hold that strongly. Um And I think that that I think that especially now, so many years later, if she wanted to try and make music again, like over the years, she's expressed interest in trying to make music again. But like, it's hard to figure out, like, well, what would that be exactly? Yeah. And how would you promote it? Yeah. I mean, she does have the revival, but, you know. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's like that thing where is it going to just be for the fans? Yeah. Or, you know, if that's not your goal,
0: then it's it's really hard to, like, spend the money to do it and do it well. So that's why I think that Miranda Cosgrove's music career never really took hold. There is an interesting... I mean, I was watching other perspectives on her music career. And one thing that happened that I forgot about, and some people credit this with ending her music career, is that she got into a bus accident oh like a butt what do you mean a bus okay so as the story goes um what, are there, she really is this, is this a legend What's well okay no 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 this <laughs> <It's> not <laughs> this is not like Paula Abdul's plane crash <laughs> this happened there's pictures okay um so this album sparks flight comes out in 2010 mm-hmm. moderate hit it's enough for her to go on tour okay she follows it up the following year 2011 with an EP and the EP is led off by this song called, uh, dancing crazy, crazy dancing. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Avril Lavigne pen track. I think she does some tour dates supporting Avril Lavigne. So, you know, she's, she's on the move, Mm -hmm. you know, Columbia records is putting her out there. Um, in the summer of 2011, it's between seasons of iCarly. So she's still filming iCarly. She's on tour. And in the middle of her tour, her tour bus gets into a car, a crash. Mm her tour bus rear ends uh a, like a semi the entire front of the bus is like smashed the the driver is like seriously injured um Miranda Caso breaks her ankle and her mother's also in the bus and is has my suffers minor in- injuries but after that that the rest of that tour has to be canceled.
1: Yeah. Okay, I think I remember this from when I was doing research and it like derailed sort of like th- never got the momentum going.
0: Yeah, because then she has to go back. She, she cancels the rest of her tour. She has to get ready to film the next season of Icarly. Um a lot of people credit that with the end of her music career. Mm-hmm. But then I was reading that like she ended up finishing the tour the following summer.
1: Mm-hmm. But it, 20- it just the, the momentum wasn't there
0: the momentum wasn't there. She ends up getting dropped by her label. But, um, and you know, and then interestingly enough, like in the year after the tour is canceled, she and her mother end up suing the driver of her bus, <laughs> the driver of her bus who like, like was seriously injured in the crash. Did and then fall asleep
1: the tri- though or something? I
0: don't know. The driver of the semi-truck, they also tried to sue him because basically, you know, Miranda Cosgrove loses her recording contract uh-huh. and, um, she also lost like a, a brand deal with like Neutrogena in that same year. And they blame this all on that accident. But I don't know. I I don't know that there was necessarily a path forward for Miranda Cosgrove, given what that first album sounded like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just what, what it was as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily see her being the next Hillary Duff. Like look at it this way. I didn't I didn't know that Miranda Cosgrove, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande, they're all like the same age. Mm-hmm. They're all about 28, 29 currently. Uh-huh. And of that crop of young women that kind of came up through this system, like Miranda Cosgrove, I don't think was in the running towards surpassing any of those people. You know, yeah. like yeah. for me, for me, it's like Selena Gomez always had a point of view. There's something just cool and vibey about Selena Gomez that like is kind of intangible. Demi Lovato, amazing voice. Ariana Grande, amazing voice. Miley Cyrus, image like and and pretty good voice.
1: Like she's got a unique
0: lane, a for unique herself voice there, strangely yeah. deep voice, but you know, yeah. r- immediately recognizable voice, mm-hmm. and and successfully like parlayed her her childhood image into uh, an adult image i think that that's key for a lot of these artists like especially like you know ariana grande her pop music persona is so different from the even the look of the way that she looked on her nickelodeon show it's like you have to be able to flip a switch and be like lights out this is me after dark kind of Mm -hmm, you know when you're mm going to become a pop star because i think the expectation for a pop star is like a more mature presentation than when you're on a teenage sitcom. Um, So, you know, sorry to this woman. Um, I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you like the song.
0: I think the song is cool. I think that like, if she had played it right, this was probably the lane that she should have gone down. Much the way that Hilary Duff did. Hilary Duff made a successful transition from, like, kind of, like, the Matrix, the the music production team, the Matrix, and the rock music that they were making, that Mm -hmm. Avril Lavigne type of music, Mm. to fun dance music. Uh And I think that that became more what Hilary Duff was, like, known for. As evidenced by the fact that, like, when Hilary Duff made her comeback, like... God, that was like five years ago that Hilary Duff released um, her comeback album, Sparks. Oh my God! So I, that was no. I listened to that Hilary Duff album when that album came out. I didn't have any interest in it. I listened to it again now, and I'm like, this is a really, really good album. Is this the one where like the rain falls down? No, no, that's like her first album. That was the theme song to like Laguna look, Beach. That's all I know. That's all I know. Oh, listen to listen to Hilary Duff's last album. It's so good front to back but Look, the, i
1: like hillary duff
0: i don't i it's not that i don't like
1: her <laughs> it's just no interest in the music
0: it's so good it's so good okay i mean okay because this is I the thing listen. with hillary duff right so you know big segue maybe i'll talk about this in a future episode hillary duff had that recording career it abruptly kind of stops for her right she gets dropped i think hollywood records just ends her contract um that Charlie XCX song, Boom Clap, that was uh-huh. on the uh, Fault in Our Stars soundtrack, big hit for Charlie XCX. Charlie XCX said that when she wrote that song, she wrote it for Hillary Duff and that Hillary Duff passed on it.
1: Well, there you go.
0: And it was The rest
1: <laughs> is history.
0: And it was in that following year that Hillary Duff was like, oh my God, I want to start making music again. And out the gate, Hillary Duff released these two singles that were like full on um, early 2000s Cheryl Crow songs. Like acoustic Uh guitar folksy, like, you know, pop songs. Yeah. And nothing, nothing. The world was not here for it. They were not there for it. She took a couple years off, came back with a dance album, uh, a thousand, thousand times better. So the lesson today, Miranda Cosgrove, um, know thyself, (laughs) know your strengths. (laughs) All right. And, and, and we will, we will be there for you. So disgusting. Give disgusting. it a try. Give it a shot. See what you think.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to see what other listeners, you know, feel about this album and uh, maybe some of their other favorite uh, TV to pop star pipeline products. Give it to me. That have come through. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, <laughs> take it away. Well, thank you. We want to thank Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, FlopperDeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at FlopperDeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at Facebook.com slash FlopperDeemer. And as always, email us at FlopperDeemer at gmail.com with your comments, suggestions, and just general platitudes.
0: Yeah. Now that I've stopped updating our website, I wonder how long it's, it is to, like, actually stop checking the email. <laughs> That's like the next thing. Just follow up. No, ahead.
1: I will check it. Okay.
0: All right. Right. Goodbye. Bye.